0: So we are going to start the first panel of our afternoon session and for this next panel we will have three speakers and the first one is Jean Bajala. Um, he is lecturer at American University of Iraq, uh, Suleymaniye. Um, he currently teaches modern world civilization and Middle Eastern history and has experience lecturing at Selati University, Istanbul University and University of Oxford and his speech is entitled um, Ethnicity and Politics in the Early Modern Ottoman Empire, the Kurdish Case. Well, uh, good afternoon everybody, and uh, I'd like to first of all start by thanking the organisers of the conference for doing such a wonderful job and for such a wonderful lunch as well, which has uh, made a nice change from the sandwiches we usually (laughs) suffer through at these kind of things. Now, um, my talk has... uh, Dr. Ozlem uh, said will be about the uh, Kurds in the early modern period, and more specifically the Kurds in the Ottoman Empire, and particularly the issues relating to political mobilization and the use of ethnicity in political mobilization in the uh, in, in the early modern world. Now, for uh, for my many sins, uh, I come at this from an approach of a modernist. I have, uh, unfortunately, an undergraduate degree in political science, which is uh, something I'm quite deeply ashamed of, but one of the the important aspects and uh, opportunities that studying political science uh, gave me was to really engage with some of the literature in, uh, to do with ethnicity and nationalism, and I think although in popular, uh, you know, amongst uh, the general public, especially in the Middle East, the, the view that nations are natural and unchanging is uh, still very prevalent I think amongst academics we all have generally sort of rejected this uh, perspective uh, towards this more constructed uh, this notion that ethnicity and nationalism are constructed changing and uh, contextual and of course this is uh, for, for me this is a very personal issue as the son of a Kurdish Agha and a Pembrokeshire peasant, brought up, born in Birmingham and brought up in the Venice of Yorkshire, Kingston upon Hull. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> the contextual nature of what one's ethnicity is is uh, is something uh, so- something very uh, close to me. Now, the the research I'm going to present today, basically, I came to uh, it when I was studying the emergence of modern Kurdish nationalism at the end of the 19th century and in the early tw- 20th century. So. Unlike many of uh, many of the speakers uh, today who who are medievalists or li- linguists and things, I, I, I guess I come from a slightly different uh, different uh, perspective and a different way. And what what I found quite interesting in studying <laughs> the emergence of modern Kurdish national identity is the the politicized the the, the, the highly political nature of of, uh, historical discourse pertaining to the Kurds and the academic reaction to this. So of course, as might be expected, uh, Kurdish nationalists in the the modern era have been uh, very, uh, let's say, uh, forceful in trying to show the historical depth of the Kurdish nation, to show that the Kurds are an ancient people. In the Middle East, of course, you have the creation of uh, uh, historical discourses which you know, emphasize the uh, ancient nature of the Persian nation, the ancient nation of the Arab nation, the ancient nature of the Turkish nation. Of course, these are all part of a political struggle to justify current-day political structures and political demands. So, this game which many Middle Eastern historians play of whose history is the longest, although interesting in in itself, does not uh, illuminate the issues of uh, ethnicity and nationalism, Uh, before the modern age in in, in a meaningful way. Now, when we look at academic literature uh, on on the Kurds, especially this new wave of uh, Kurdish studies that we've witnessed appearing in the last uh, 15-20 years, a a, a a renewed interest in Kurdish history, partly brought about by the partial liberalization of the Turkish political space, the success of of the Kurdish movement in Iraq, which has made it possible for a new generation of, uh, of scholars to engage with uh, Kurdish studies. We see basically a critique of the old primordialist view of the Kurds as a continuous community, which traces its origins all the way back to the Medes of ancient time or, or even further. One, as one uh, Kurdish historian, Ekem, uh, Jamal Pasha Zadeh wrote, uh, he begins his history of the Kurds with the migration of the Kurds from uh, from uh, the plains of Russia and their arrival along with the Indo-European migrations. Now, of course, this new generation uh, of um, historians have criticized this and in particular have tried to draw a firm uh, distinction and emphasize the discontinuities between pre-modern manifestations of Kurdish ethnic identity and modern Kurdish nationalism. Now, I, I fully accept this, uh, this dichotomy. I think it's Quite correct. Modern nationalism is modern. It is built on certain ideological uh, precepts, such as uh, the notion of a citizenry, uh, a nation state, and things like that, which are a product of modern uh, political, economic, and social conditions. And we need not detain ourselves with that question here. But what we see, interestingly, in the literature is in the process of trying to prove that Kurdish nationalism is modern, the discussion of what actually Kurdish identity before the 19th century meant and, and, and its impact on politics and society is kind of uh, ignored or not taken seriously. In other words uh, the new generation of Kurdish historians are keen to show to us that well pre-modern manifestations of Kurdish identity are not nationalism but they do not tell us what they are or how we might conceptualize them or, or you know what was their meaning. So. And so because there's this this obsession with the nationalism debate, uh, which is quite understandable, uh, we we get a kind of lopsided view of what Kurdish identity before the 19th uh, century meant. Now, so what I'm gonna do is basically give you a kind of overview of how we might look at the different contexts in which uh, Kurdish identity was mobilized in the pre-modern period, and perhaps more importantly, what were its political implications? You know, how did it affect? Uh, uh, how did it affect uh, the conduct of politics, the con- uh, and, and social relations between different groups, state-society relations, and all these things? As uh, uh, John Bruley, a uh, uh, historian of nationalism at the LSE, once noted, the reason we study ethnic identity and nationalism is not because it's a uh, you know a quaint, interesting subject, but because it has a real effect. On politics. It has a real effect on society. So I'm going to, I have outlined here a few kind of questions that I want to answer and I probably won't get round to answering them all in enough depth or as much as I'd like to, but basically what were the political implications of Kurdish ethnic distinctiveness in the pre-modern or early modern world? What do manifestations of Kurdish ethnic awareness in the early modern world signify? Uh, Is it possible to speak of a Kurdish ethnic solidarity in the early modern, pre-modern world? And perhaps at the end to uh, ask whether it's meaningful to talk about any continuities between pre-modern manifestations of Kurdish identity and modern Kurdish nationalism. So I'll start from with a kind of top down approach and this approach is not unique to me it, it was pioneered by Martin van Brunissen in the in the late 1970s and it has been built on by the Turkish scholar Hakan Osoldo more recently examining how the perspectives of uh, imperial states and, and and more importantly individual individuals working for or operating within the political sta- uh, within imperial states in the Middle East uh, how their perceptions of the Kurds as a community uh, affected po- uh, uh, p- state policy, the, uh, uh, pe- uh, affected the way in which they uh, interacted with the Kurds. Now, as uh, Boris Jam uh, noted this morning, we can we 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 can actually trace the notions or, or the notion of the Kurds as a distinct ethnic community back to the Middle Ages. So, when we deal with the uh, Ottoman era, you know, from the 16th century onwards. There seems to have been already in existence in Middle Eastern political culture a fairly well established notion of, of of a Kurdish community that there existed some community of people called Kurds who lived in some kind some territory although vaguely defined and with some certain, some objective cultural attributes or, or although as uh, uh, as we might want to highlight the the, the, the objective ca- attributes which were uh, highlighted as defining the Kurds, often changed depending on the political context in which they were operating. Within, uh, within. now, uh, now my, my research on the late uh, on the uh, early modern em- uh, uh, Ottoman Empire is not exhaustive, but as far as I, uh, I s- I've seen, the earliest. Uh, Extended reference in uh, in, in uh, a piece of Ottoman literature pertaining to the Kurds can be found in a religious manual written in Ottoman Turkish which uh, describes um, what a religious student studying in Istanbul should do and includes, uh, includes some descriptions of the various communities that reside in the Middle East, basically highlighting certain stereotypes about them. Arabs, for example, were somewhat wild and they couldn't be trusted, uh, <clears throat> Turks, as referring to Turkish-speaking peasants, were generally sheep-like and tended to follow what they were told, <laughs> Turkmans were warlike, Ajans were untrustworthy, and K- Kurds could never agree with any, anything uh, amongst each other and tended to kill each other very often, so we may actually note that as a certain degree of continuity if you follow Iraqi Kurdish politics today. Now, this, the, the, this notion of the Kurds uh, as a distinct community had a very important effect on how Ottoman power expanded into Kurdistan in the, late, uh, in the early 16th century. Now I'm sure many of you are well aware of the story of how uh, Ottoman Kurdistan was integrated in the Ottoman Empire after the Battle of Chaldiran, the defeat of uh, Ismail Shah Safavid, and the victories of Yavuz Sultan Selim, the, the Selim the Grim and basically creating, a, a forcing the uh, Shia Iranians out of Kurdistan and establishing Kurdish, uh, Ottoman hegemony over the region, a hegemony which lasted right down to 1918 until the, uh, the collapse of the Ottoman Empire. And what's significant is that often when, when historians have approached the Ottoman Empire, they've taken this very state-orientated and centralized approach to it, and uh, examined it almost as if it's an example of a, a modern state. When compared to European uh, states of the same period, the Ottoman Empire appears as a relatively centralized state with a standard system of administration known as the Timar system, in which you have a kind of slave-holding feudalism, where the sultan has the right to uh, you know, take the land away from the people he gives it to him. Uh, and uh, distribute it how he pleased. But perhaps a key to the Ottomans' political success was that particularly on the margins of their empire, they displayed an enormous degree of administrative flexibility, and Kurdistan was one of those regions in which we see that flexibility uh, being displayed. Part of the reasons the Ottomans were so successful in establishing their uh, 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 administration over Kurdistan was the religious conflicts which existed between the Sunni Sha'afi Kurds and the Uh, the Shia uh, uh, Iranians and the Qizilbash. And uh, this conflict pushed the leading Kurdish emirs who existed in the region to join the Ottoman side. Once, however, the Iranian threat has receded, Sultan, um, Sultan Suleiman... Offered the Kurds a significant degree of autonomy. Now, this autonomy was realized through the recognition of a variety of different Kurdish principalities. But what I find quite interesting about this is that this was almost self consciously a kind of Kurdish policy, that Kurds were a particular community and therefore Kurdish tribes and Kurdish emirs had to be dealt with in a specific way. In short, you, even though Kurdish autonomy was not realized in the way that we might, uh, a, a modernist might think of autonomy as a single administrative unit, this autonomy uh, was rather recognized as a sort of um, patchwork of different Kurdish emirates. And let me see here, I have a quote from uh, from a Berat uh, issued by the Sultan, basically, to his advisor uh, Idrisi Bitlisi, who was uh, who who, who who was very familiar with Kurdish affairs and who who had defected from uh, the Akoyin Lukot to the the Ottomans, basically providing him, uh, making him the interlocutor and uh, allowing him the opportunity to establish a system of Kurdish autonomy throughout throughout Kurdistan. Now, this brings us to a kind of like interesting point that we see in Ottoman political discourse, uh, we see the Kurds occupy a particular space within the Ottoman political structure as the guardians of the frontiers. And this, as Boris mentioned briefly this morning, is similar to the kind of uh, policies adopted by the the, the, the Mamluks in a, an earlier period, trying to organise the Kurds into, a, uh, into, a, to, to, into constructing a kind of bulwark against uh, further Iranian expansion. So we have a quote here, from uh, the traveler and writer, Evliya Celebi, in which he describes the Kurds as, as, as warriors and Shafi Muslims, brothers in religion, who basically protect Anatolia and, uh, and the rest of the Ottoman Empire from the incursions of the Shia uh, Iranians. So this is kind of the uh, state perspective, and from this we might uh, conclude that at least from the perspective of outsiders, the Kurds constituted an ethnic category. This is a term used by uh, uh, Anthony D. Smith, a theoretician of ethnicity and nationalism, which is basically a, a group which is regarded as a whole, regarded as possessing some kind of commonality by outsiders, but does not necessarily possess the, uh, uh, the same degree of self-consciousness about their, uh, uh, about their own identity. They may or may not identify with it. So, State actors or imperial actors tended to regard the Kurds as some kind of ethnic category. But what about the Kurds themselves? And this is this is the question that is perhaps more difficult to answer because of the dearth of sources we have on this. There are, the, 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 there are very few sources uh, from the uh, early modern period examining the uh, examining the Kurdish identity, examining what you know, who was included as a Kurd? Who regarded themselves as a Kurd? What were the boundaries of Kurdishness? And so I'm gonna talk about three different examples, three different contexts we might see the Kurdish identity playing a kind of political role in Kurdish society. And the first one is Kurdishness as an element of social distinction. And what I mean by this is uh, basically we, we see, even today in Kurdish society, a, a strong class element in, uh, in the definition of who was a Kurd, especially in the pre-modern period. Now, much of the older literature, particularly uh, works written by uh, uh, Vladimir Minovsky and some, uh, and some later writers, have presented a narrative in which the category K- Kurd emerges first as a socio-economic uh, designation. Now, this view is uh, a little bit problematic. And again, to reference my friend Boris, for the third time, uh, it's been Boris has critiqued this idea uh, quite severely. This is not to say that there was no socio-economic dimension to what defined a Kurd during, d- during the early modern period, but to re- regard the category Kurd as synonymous with a word such as nomad would be misleading. Kurd uh, possessed other elements of distinction from the Middle Ages, including language, including territory, including myths of origin. But we do see within the Kurdish context, within the context of Kurdish society, the identity of Kurd signifying the difference between those elements of the population that were tribally organized and had tribal genealogies and those elements that was the subject peasantry. Now in many parts of Kurdistan, the subject peasantry, Peasantry was non-Kurdish in the sense they were either Armenians or Syrians, things like that. But especially in Kurdistan's more southerly regions, such as Sulaymaniyah, we see the peasant population being largely Muslim. And in this context, we see uh, we, we, we we see a, a, a strong social distinction between this uh, what Claudius Rich, an early 19th-century traveler, descri- described as the as the Sipahi Kurds, the the clannish, the warlike Kurds, and the Raiya or the coolies, the, uh, the 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 villagers, and Rich's observation that was that these two groups seemed like almost like uh, different races. And when speaking to a, a Kurdish informant, he was informed that uh, the tribal Kurds got very angry when Turks or Persians referred to the entire community as Kurds, whereas because Kurd, in their view, would only refer to the tribally organized elements of society. Those Kurdish-speaking peasantry were not regarded within the circle of Kurdishness. So this is one important context, one which, again, this is not a particularly original view uh, of mine, but one which is quite important to recognize. We see Kurdish playing a role in social distinction, and we see remnants of this in the Kurdish language today. For example, in uh, in the city of Arabil, Kurd is often used to refer to to, to those people who have a tribal origin, whereas someone from a lowly social origin might be referred to as a kirmaj, which is again a, a related term, but has a, cert, has a kind of distinct meaning within the context of the city of Erbil. So if again we want to theorize this, we might again use Anthony Dismiss language to talk about the Kurdish ethnie, the Kurdish ethnic community, as a lateral or aristocratic uh, ethnie. In encompassing only what we would, uh, only the top layer of what we might assume to be Kurdish society today. So that's one element. But there are two, there, there are some other interesting contexts in which we see the Kurdish identity mobilized. And I'm gonna focus on two of them, two of the most well-known pieces from the early modern period. The first is the Naba. A, uh, uh, authored by the emir of Bitlis, Sherif Khani Bitlisi, written in Persian, and purporting to be a history of the Kurds, or perhaps more accurately, a history of Kurdistan's ruling houses. Now, historians have tended to use the Sherif Nama as a kind of mine for historical information. There's not, not much historical information on Kurdish society in the early modern era, but they have not. Uh, they've tended to just try and find a, a, use it as a database for facts and figures and battles and things like that, rather than assessing, uh, a, assessing it as a, 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 as a literary text. And my argument about about the Sheriff Nama is that it displays a kind of princely political identity. Sheriff Khan, as an emir in Kurdistan, as the ruler of, of, of a Kurdish emir, was keen to protect the autonomies, not, of, not only of himself, but of his fellow Kurdish emirs. It, it was kind of an, uh, a, a group solidarity of the elite. And he basically, in the sheriff Nama, talks about the Kurds as a community, talks about the Kurds as a community having their own aristocratic elite, and their own traditions of self-government, which is quite important. And basically the sheriff Nama uh, uh, um, f- uh, functions almost as a constitutional document, outlining how a good imperial ruler should rule Kurdistan. So he, for example, uh, contrasts the Safavids, who I- imprisoned Kurdish emirs, with the Ottomans, who empowered them and recognized their rulership o- over over Kurdish uh, o- over their traditional domains. And he has this very interesting passage in, it in which he discusses. He says the great sultans and magnanimous Magna- Nan- 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 khans likewise have not coveted the Kurds' districts or provinces. And are content merely with their tribute, subordination, and acquiescence to heed the call the call to arms and to prepare campaigns an agreement made without the condition of being conquered it 's kind of an important aspect of the work that Kurds are happy Kurdish emirs are happy to work within the imperial si- system so long as their rights are respected the kind of Quasi pre modern federalism, saying that, well, we have these inalienable rights and we will be loyal to you so long as these are, uh, are adhered to. So, in what emerges in, in uh, Sheriff Khan's Sheriff Nama is the idea of the Kurds not simply as a cultural community, but as a political community with a certain political culture and certain political rights. In a sense, it's a discourse between a Kurdish lord and his imperial overlord. So, this is one almost conservative. Uh, 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 interpretation of Kurdish identity. After all, the Sheriff Han- uh, Nana is, uh, <laughs> is in effect defending an existing political system in Kurdistan, an exi- uh, a political system which is based on a condominium between the Ottoman government and Kurdish feudal elites. But Kurdish culture and Kurdish political culture in the early modern period also possessed a more radical side. Now, if we, even if we go back to look at the myths of origins pertaining to the Kurds, this kind of radicalism comes out. Often uh, historians who have looked at the myths of origins of the Kurds have used them as a way to assert the ethnicity of the Kurds one way or another. In the pre-modern era we see Arab myths of origin that Boris talked about, we see Iranian myths of origin, and we see see even uh, religious myths of origin. the common theme of all these uh, myths of origin is that the Kurds are outsiders. Whether they were the refugees from the pre-Islamic period, fleeing to the mountains after a conflict with Arab tribes, or whether they were the refugees from the mythical dictator Zuhak who had fled to the mountains, or whether they were the uh, outsiders, the offspring of Suleiman's wives, and some some devils who had uh, seduced them. But the idea of the Kurds as the outsiders, the Kurds as rebels. And we see this... Uh, in the work of Ahmed khani a 17th-century uh, Kurdish poet, which which presents a more radical political image of the the, the, the Kurds. Now, his most famous work, the Memuzin, basically signifies this impulse to ov- not m- acquiesce to imperial rule, but rather overthrow imperial rule. Now, this radicalism is not restricted to the work of Ahmed Ikhani. We see other poets uh, basically praising Kurdish leaders who had fought against. Uh, fought against uh, imperial rulers, such as in the Fakir te, uh, Tehran's Beiti Dimdim, which recalls the history of a revolt against the, the, the Safavid go- uh, government in the six, 17th century, I want to say, the in the Dimdim revolt. But Ahmadi is definitely the most well-known. And we see in Ahmed Khanis work, in, in perhaps the most famous passage, known as al Dimen Dimmeh, in which basically he complains about the Kurds' geopolitical situation as the guardians of the frontier. Basically unwilling to fulfill this role which had been assigned by the Ottomans and the Iranians, and complaining that the Kurds are the ones who basically uh, suffer every time there is conflict between the Ajams uh, and the the, the the Turks, or the, the Ottoman uh, Turks. So this is the most famous aspect, complaining about the Kurds' uh, terrible uh, geopolitical situation. Now... These words here have been interpreted as a manifestation of Kurdish uh, nationalism. And of course to to modernize they do seem very nationalistic. However again we have to contextualize them within the period of the early uh, or, or in, the, in the context of the early modern period. Memozin is not a nationalist piece. Instead what Memozin is it's almost instead of a forward looking piece of work it's actually a backwards looking piece of work uh, in, in my opinion. A piece of work which doesn't uh, call for the creation of a Kurdish nation state, but rather calls for a Kurdish king to emerge to emerge, uh, to emerge and conquer the neighboring people and My suspicion about this work is that this is looking back to the age of Salahdin Ayubi when the Kurds had been at the center of, the, uh, of Middle Eastern politics, uh, rejecting the idea that Kurds should remain on the margins of, of, of uh, civilization so we see in, in, in Memoisine praising the praising of a a Kurdish king, and the the, the wish for a Kurdish king to come forth and conquer those neighbours, not create a nation-state, but create an an Islamic empire in which the Kurds would form the core element. So a few little concluding points we might want to bring up is that, well, the notion that the Kurds constituted a, a distinct community in the early modern period, played an important role in shaping political administrative structures. uh, Of course, this doesn't mean the Kurdish identity possessed a single meaning, it possessed a multitude of meanings. But it's perhaps important to note that although we don't describe this as nationalism, we should describe it as some form of ethno-politics. The mobilization of ethnic identity towards a political end. And I think uh, quite an interesting point, and I don't have time to go into it, is that what is the relationship... Between these pre modern uh, identities and modern Kurdish nationalism. And I would conclude by a point made by uh, uh, Eric Hobsbawm, who hmm. cited the most decisive uh, aspect of proto nationalism in defining modern nationalism is the existence of a, a state or a political structure like that. And I think if we want to look at you know, what is the pre modern influence on modern nationalism, modern Kurdish nationalism, we should look beyond issues of language, issues of culture but rather to the existing political traditions, and particularly the tradition of Kurdish self-rule in helping define in the modern period, providing a kind of uh, wealth of, resor- uh, of um, symbolic resources for Kurdish nationalists to build on. Thank you very much.